Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. I think if you, if you ask Brooke and I uh, about our parenting philosophy, we wouldn't be able to pull out a book or a thing we've written down to say, well, here it is, you can read about it. But in conversation, we, we'd, say some, we'd say many things, but one of the things we'd say is, we want to raise adults who are able to navigate, healthily navigate the world. We want to raise adults who can healthily navigate the world so that when they go out into the world, they're well prepared, well equipped to be able to navigate whatever that'll look like for them. That, that's part of our philosophy. Because here's the thing, everybody, everybody, every breathing human, no matter what your faith, no matter what your belief, Beliefs, no matter what your values, no matter what your interests, no matter what your culture is, no matter what your background is, every single person at some stage in their life will have to go out into the world. We can't, we can't stay out of it. We will go into the world. And I reckon if I could speak very, very, very broadly, there are two ways to approach that. There are two ways to approach the world out there. The first way is to go out into the world and consume. Go out into the world and take everything you can from it in order to live your best life, okay? The second approach is to go out into the world and contribute, to try and make the world a better place through giving, serving, loving others, and helping others to live their best life. Two very broad approaches. I was talking to Brooke about this, and we agreed that even though we aspired to the second, (laughs) Depending on the day and depending what mood we found ourselves in, we might sometimes revert to the first just because we're tired and cranky and we don't want to do anything for anyone else. This is just being honest and maybe a confession. But there are moments where I go, nah, stuff it. I'm just going to live for myself today. It should not come as a surprise to any of us here that Jesus desires for us, his church, to live the second way every chance we get. To go out into the world, to love and to serve when Jesus was praying in John 17, this is a be- if, you, if you want to know the heart of Jesus more than ever, go and read the 17th chapter of John that contains this prayer that he prays for his believers and then for all of us as a result of their ministry. In that prayer, he says, as you, he's praying to his father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As Jesus was sent to, how was Jesus sent? He was to bring life to speak about life, abundant life, to heal, to love the outcast, to challenge the proud religious leaders, to go to the least and most marginalized, and ultimately to give his very life for the sake of the world. That's how Jesus was sent. And in his prayer, Jesus is saying to his father, as I was sent, as you sent me, I'm sending them. And he said it about his disciples that could hear his prayer in that moment, but I have no doubt in my mind that he meant his church as well. That all of us, who, yes, we will go out into the world. But as Jesus was sent, that we'd go out with that second attitude to give, to serve, to contribute, to somehow make the world a better place, to live as an answer to that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done here where you've placed me as your will is done in heaven. And when it comes to our identity, as we've been looking over the last six weeks through through the book of Ephesians, I reckon we can contrast all of what we've spoken about in, with this last identity piece. I am sent. 
I am sent. Remember, we started with I am chosen. We talked about uh, I, I am loved, I am family, um, I am saved, all these different parts of our identity. But I reckon this one really sums up how we are to live with everything, with all of that being true. I am sent. The problem is, the problem is the world into which we're sent screams at us, you are self. So we've got these two identity things going on. As we go into the world that we're sent, what it's saying to us and what we want to go is, no, I am self. I want to live for myself. I want to consume. I want to take from the world everything that I can get in order to make my, my life the best that it can possibly be. That's the world into which Jesus sends us to say, no, 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 go into that world and serve and love and give and heal and sacrifice yourself for the sake of others. Paul reminds us in this passage that we're about to look at that behind that, behind that voice that wants to say in your ears, to your hearts and to your minds, no, no, live for self, live for self, live for self. That, that voice is coming from an invisible enemy. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. Let me read to you uh, the first three verses of, sorry, not the first three verses, verses 10 to 12 of Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes this, after all the stuff we've covered over the last five weeks and into today, finally, finally, all of that being true, all of your identity markers being true, this is who you are in Christ, this is who you are now. So then finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In the culture we live in today, there's a thing called the imminent frame. And everything about self says, live for now. There is nothing invisible in this world. Everything that is real, you can touch and you can hold. So live for the now, live for the moment, live, live for what you can experience, live, live for what you can get your hands on, all that sort of stuff. So any, any talk of the devil, any talk of this invisible enemy seems a bit silly. And some of you might be thinking now, yeah, this is a bit silly. Like this is an ancient book, they thought differently then, science has proven this is all. No, no, this is the word of God. And actually we're here, we just worshipped a God that we can't see. We just worshipped a spiritual God. So if there's a spiritual God, maybe there is a devil. Maybe there is an enemy that positions himself against the people of God to try and render them ineffective. And that's what's true according to Paul. And I would say, according to the word of God, I would say that maybe in 2022 and in the cultural moment that we're in and have been for a while, the greatest trick that the devil is playing is to convince us that he's not real. John Stott says this, the wiles of the devil take many forms, but he is at his wiliest when he succeeds in persuading people that he does not exist. This is the one who's whispering in your ear, live for self. Don't, don't, do it, give a red bag, that's fine. Give, give, give it to the care team to take care of. You don't need to worry about it. You can live for yourself. Make more money for yourself and give a little bit to make other people do the work of the church. 
Because the, the reality here that Paul's talking about, because remember he's writing to the church. He's not just writing to the leaders of the church. He's not just writing to the spiritually mature super Christians. He's writing to everyone. This battle, this war that he's talking about is not just for the super Christians. It's for every person who follows Jesus. Every person is engaged in this battle who would follow Jesus. You don't have a choice of whether you're in the battle or not. You do have a choice about how equipped you are for the battle. It's like Paul is saying, the battle is real, guys. There's a battle going on. I am self versus I am sent. This is a battle that's going on. You don't have a choice about this battle. I'm sorry, but you're in a war zone. What you do have a choice of is whether you take up armor or not. You have a choice about how equipped you are. Let me, let me read a really, this is quite a long quote, but it's a good one from a guy called Ian Dugwood. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Let me read this to you. It'll be across a couple of slides. Life is a battle for Christians. Jesus told his disciples to take up their cross, not to take up their armchair. We are engaged in conflict against an enemy whose strength and skill far outmatch our own. But it is a battle that we have been equipped to fight in the sure knowledge that we have enlisted on the winning side. We take up our cross because our Savior first took up his. We wear God's armor because Jesus wore it first. In the final analysis, standing our ground simply means clinging desperately to Jesus as our only hope of salvation. In that attitude of dependent trust is true victory. For all of his power and while, Satan has no ability to snatch away those who are trusting in Christ, for they are the children of God and their Father will not let them go. They have been entrusted by the Father into the safekeeping of the Son and are indwelt by the Spirit himself. This is the big picture of this verse right here. This isn't about how well you can fight. It's how well you trust in the one who has already won. It's how much you depend on grace and not on your own strength to do great stuff for God. It's not about what you can do for God. It's about what he's already done for you and how you live in response to that as we've talked about through all this series. Paul doesn't say here, have the armor ready in case you need it. Paul doesn't say, there are going to be times that come of like intense persecution or, or ridicule or stuff like that when you might need the armor, so have it close by. He says, no, take it up and leave it on. The, the, the garments of peace, and I, I'm a bit of a Lord of, the, Lord, of the, Lord of the Friends, Lord of the Rings fanboy. You know, how, you know how when they're about to battle, they put their armor on, but when they're not battling, they take, they take it off and they've got like garments of peace. And right at the end, when Aragon is enthroned, he's not got battle armor on, he's... There is never a time on this earth that we are wearing spiritual garments of peace. That comes in the next life. The battle is now. We have the armor on all the time. We should have the armor on all the time or we become vulnerable. So let's look at, let's look at this armor. Verses 13 to 17. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. The battle is real. You can't escape it. So therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's really, what's really key here is what Paul has said in the verse I read before is be strong in the Lord. This is emphasizing what I've just been saying. This is not about our ability to fight. This is about Jesus giving to us the armor that he has worn 
It's about taking on Christ and by grace, trusting in the grace of God, trusting in that. And each part of the armor that we'll go through in a sec, we'll do a real quick flyby of the armor, speaks to that. These, these are things given to us by grace, not that we've earned them, not that we deserve them, not that we, we have fought. And so, you know, like, like um, the Mandalorian whose armor gets better and better as he goes through that series and he earns greater armor and greater armor. Now, this is the armor that Jesus wore, the full armor that he wore as he lived and died and rose again. He gives that armor to us. Be strong in the Lord. Let's look at it. Like I said, we're just doing a, a really big sweep across this. We could do a whole series on each part of the armor, but I want to do just in the interest of time and the interest of smelling those onions. Let's move through it. The belt of truth. The belt of truth. Back then, when Paul was writing this, when people wore uh, just their normal clothes, they, men, men wore like dresses, right? What was really important for, for soldiers was to put a belt on first. I tend to put my belt on last, but back then it was put your belt on first. And what that did is it bunched up all the, all the dress so that you could then put the armor on and feel free to run and fight and all that sort of thing. A modern day, a modern day reality is it'd be hard to run and fight and even walk if your pants kept falling down. So the belt is a really important sort of primary foundational piece of armor that Paul is imagining when he says, put on the belt. Like the belt is the first thing he talks about because that's the first thing a soldier would put on before he put anything else on. And what, what I think Paul is talking about here when he says truth is not just this broad sweep of truth. Like I don't think he's thinking about secondary truths. You know, and I don't want to go down the path of what is truth or anything. What I think he's thinking of when he says this is everything that we have covered over the last six weeks of this series. You need to remember you are chosen, you are saved, you are loved, you are family, you are holy, you are sent. Believe that, put that on. Remember that truth because when you engage in this battle, everything that the world will say to you will be a lie. Don't let it infect your mind. Remember the truth. This is who you are before a holy and righteous God. And again, this, this, is why, this is why gathering like this is so important. I, I, I missed, I was, I was preaching at Ormo campus when, when this came up uh, as, as a thought in a sermon. But this is why it's so important to do what we're doing right now. Because here is a place where you will be reminded of who you are. And an hour and a half out of 168 hours in a week is better than nothing, but it's probably not enough to remember who you are. When the world... The battleground is screaming at you, no, 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 you are this. You're not that, you're this. So these are really important times where we can remember the story, the true story that we're a part of. We are chosen, we are saved, we are loved, we are family. And if, and if you go through life just coming when you feel like it and all that sort of thing, what, that, that, I don't want to sound like I'm saying you should be here every Sunday to make me feel better. This is a reality of, of remembering, of being restored, of being reminded the world says this, you come, we come together like this to remember, we come to life group, we do other things to remember, okay, this is who I am, I need to remember this. The truth, the belt of truth is nothing more and nothing less than Jesus himself. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life and here is a part of that truth, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's really unpopular these days. Or many paths lead to God. Now Jesus said, you can't come to God unless you come through me. This is the truth. 
This is the truth we take on. To take on the truth is to take on Jesus, to abide in him, to trust him. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate protected the chest and by the way, the back as well. The breastplate didn't have the back exposed. I know some, when some people have preached this, they talk about how you know, we, we cover each other, but there was a back plate to the breastplate. Uh, it, was, it was both sides. Um, but this is the breastplate of righteousness. Think about how people you know outside of the church, how they might describe Christians. You know, I'm guessing that for many of us in this country, it's not a very glowing report, but they might say things like, oh yeah, holier than thou. You know, those, those, people, those pious Christians, those moralistic Christians. I think they're actually identifying something that should be true. They're ridiculing, but they're identifying something that should be true. There is a way that we should live in light of who God is and what he's done that is different to the way the world lives. There should be something, not, not because we're earning our salvation or anything like that, but because we have been saved, because our eyes have been opened, because we've received God's grace and love, we should be different. Another word that they could use to describe us is righteous. That there's a difference. We don't, we don't do as the world does. We do differently. We need to be really careful here because with this righteousness, there needs to be a great humility. We don't go wearing righteousness like a badge of pride, like I am not like that scum over there. Look at these dirty people and look at me, how good I am. God, look at me. I'm awesome. I'm so righteous. I'm so moral. I'm so holy. No, there is a humility. You know why? Because you didn't earn your righteousness. You did nothing. You did nothing to make yourself righteous before a holy God. And if you think you did, you need to repent because you're proud. The righteousness you have before a holy God is purely a gift from that God through Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness is, something, is not something you earn by being a respectful, good, moralistic person. You get given it as a gift when you trust in Jesus. So with the righteousness and with this different way of living, there should be a deep, deep humility. It says, this is not me. This is not mine. I have not earned this. This was a gift from God. My sin has been forgiven. Jesus took my sin and gave me his righteousness as a gift. And I wear this with great and deep humility and gratitude, not to show off, but to celebrate and to wear like a, a light and salt that says to the world, look how good God is. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, gospel shoes, or the shoes of peace. The shoes of peace. What did I write on the screen? The good news shoes. I couldn't resist. I know it's cheesy, but um, it rhymes and it's cool. Okay. Back in that day, shoes were a luxury. Not everyone had a pair of shoes. They were very uncommon. But two people that were certain to have shoes were soldiers and couriers. People had to run or walk long distances to take a message or, or a package from here to there. So people who, who that, these were the people who wore shoes. So I'm, I'm, as I thought about this and I thought about soldiers wearing shoes, you know those epic war movies where um, there's often a scene where the soldiers take their shoes off and their feet are all disgusting? Like a good pair of shoes that keep the water out are really important in battle. Footwear is crucial. It's crucial. It's crucial if you're taking a message as well. You don't wanna, you don't wanna go on a, a long journey to take a message from here to there and not have a good pair of shoes. In fact, you don't wanna go on any long walk or run and not have a decent pair of shoes. I had a friend in Toowoomba that used to run around the streets with no shoes on. He's the exception, not the rule, okay? It's not that he couldn't afford shoes, he just preferred to run without them. But that, that's not us. We, we, we need a good pair of shoes in order to go on a journey. 
And Paul takes that image, takes that, that reality and applies it here to the good news. And I reckon in his mind for sure would have been this verse from Isaiah 52 and verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Here's the reality about you in this battle. In this battle that you are inevitably in, when you put on the shoes of the gospel, you acknowledge that you carry a message. You do. You carry a message. And it's an acknowledgement to say, help me, Jesus, to carry this message well. Help me to be able to tell the gospel narrative, the gospel story, the story of the grace that is offered to people through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Help me to carry that well as I wear these shoes that are beautiful, my feet are beautiful, as I bring that message. Peter tells us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. This is be, the hope that you have is the message that you carry. This is the story that you tell. It's not a story primarily about you. It's a story about God sending his son to die for our sin, to raise us up with him, to save us. And when you sign up for the battle, when you trust in Jesus, you become a courier. You become a messenger. And so we need to equip ourselves with the shoes of peace. The shield of faith. I'm moving through these real quick, I know. The shield of faith. Our faith is not something that just kind of sits there uh, in the ether that we call to ourselves in the moments that we, that we experience struggle or pain that life inevitably throws our way. It's not this sort of intangible like, oh, I just need to have more faith and sort of pull it out of the air and, and just sort of generate it a bit more. No, no. Our faith is actually because of a firm foundation. We have faith in something that has already happened. We don't have, our faith is not generated by a, an, a, by a hope or an expectation that things are going to work out well for us. Our faith is primarily built on something that happened almost 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet when a man who claimed to be God hung on a cross. He, he, was, he was sentenced to die. He hung on a cross. He died there. And three days later came back to life and there were hundreds and hundreds of people who were witnesses to the resurrection. That's what our faith is built on. It's a firm foundation. This shield is solid, not because we've generated some faith to go, yeah, come on, just muster enough faith to protect us. No, this is Jesus died and rose again. That's my faith. Devil, come through that. I'd like to see you try. This is what our faith is built on. But our faith in that will take a beating out in the world because the world will say, what a load of nonsense. You thought I was going to say something else then. What a load of nonsense. You believe in this guy who lived on the other side, this book that's this ancient, the parts of it that are okay, but really it's an outdated book, has no relevance to today. You believe that some guy rose from the dead? Come on, that's ridiculous. You're crazy to believe that stuff. Your faith in that will take a beating. Paul is saying that's the shield to trust in Jesus who died and rose again. It was, it's interesting Paul wrote this because this is this. If, if, if we are wrong and the world is right, it's going to look really bad for us. Paul wrote, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we have all people to be most pitied. What he's saying there is if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, we look pretty stupid. And to a lot of people in the world, that's exactly how we look. 
And yet our faith is built on this stupid idea, this crazy idea that God himself came in the flesh, lived, died on a cross, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father and rules over the universe for all eternity. One day when we die, we'll go and be with him. And then one day later, he'll restore this earth and we'll come and live with him for all eternity. That is a really ridiculous story. But it's true. And that's what our faith is in. So our faith is not in ourselves. It's not that our faith isn't generated by us as the subject. Our faith is in the object. That truth, that reality, we trust in that outside of ourselves and we resist the attacks of the devil when we go, no, yeah, I believe this story. I believe this story that Jesus did that and I believe that he is now reigning. I believe it, I trust in it. And that's what stops the devil who wants to put in doubt and fear and ridicule, and challenge and luring into other things. That's, that, they're the flaming darts that will come. But the shield of faith will stop it. The helmet of salvation. Here we move from faith to hope. Faith to hope. Remember faith, hope, love, the three big markers of, of Christianity. But here we are, hope, the, the helmet of salvation. This speaks to the conviction and the confidence that we have that one day Jesus will welcome us into his eternity. This is, the, this is our salvation. I, I constantly are con, am concerned for my kids to wear their helmets when they get on their bike or their scooter. They don't do it because, I know it's true, they think it looks completely uncool. But as a, as a dad now who's 43, I look at it and go, I know what can happen if you come off that bike. When I was a kid, I hated wearing a helmet and the most uncool thing when I was a kid was a stack hat. Who remembers a stack hat? Who ever wore one of those apart from on the handlebars of their bike? The stack hat was the worst thing that was ever invented. It was very uncool. But as a parent now, I know the risks, I know the danger. And so I get frustrated when I see my kids go out without a helmet on. The helmet of salvation that Paul is talking about here, this is a protection of the mind. This is a protective thing because every, again, everything in the world will seek to influence your mind. The, the, the enemy will seek to fill your mind with things that aren't true and will seek to fill your mind with the here and now. Don't worry about the future, don't worry about the next life, worry about the now, accumulate, consume as much as you can from the world, live your best life now, don't worry about the future. Jesus says, do not, stir, st do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is an outworking of the helmet of salvation is our mind is fixed on our hope of eternity. And so we live according to that. Now I, I need to put on the helmet of salvation more because I get sucked in so easily to the world. I want the here and now to be as good as possible. I want the here and now to be as enjoyable for me and for my family as I can possibly make it. And that often comes at the expense of investing in the kingdom of heaven through generosity, through giving to others through having less for myself so that others can be blessed. This is the helmet of salvation, protecting ourselves from the seeds of the enemy that he wants to plant in our minds about living for the here and now. The final piece of armour, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The way people battle and fight in war has completely changed from then to now. If you fight in a war in 2022, I doubt whether you would ever make eye-to-eye -eye contact with your enemy close up. 
Wars seem to be fought with laser-guided missiles, sniper rifles, rifles shot from distances, all this sort of thing. I don't really like these military illustrations, by the way, but this is the imagery that Paul has. Back then, battles were mainly fought, apart from a few arrows being slung and that sort of thing and catapults, battles were mainly fought with swords where you're right eye to eye with your enemy battling like this. And I think the image here that Paul wants to convey when he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, so this, this, is, this is a reminder that this is, you're going to be personally engaged in this. You are going, there's no, there's no backroom war fighting here. You can't, you can't fight this battle from your armchair at home. You can't escape it. It's coming for you. And it's going to be like hand-to-hand combat, personally engaged in this battle. Sometimes I want to live out my faith from my lounge room. I just want to send in the laser-guided bombs of grace. I want to bring a red bag and let the people with the red shirts take care of the next bit. I want to be disengaged from that. I just want to, I'd rather give money and live my best life over here than personally engage in the battle. But the sword means that I'm engaged. The sword means that this is personal for me. I can't just stay at home and fight this battle. I am sent. I am sent into the fight. And the sword is the Spirit of God, which is the Word of God. And like I said, we could unpack this a lot more. But this whole idea of spirit and truth, spirit and word, is a big thing in Jesus' teaching. And the important thing is that they like this. It's not like one or the other. It's both always, the spirit and, the, and truth. Being filled with the spirit and believing the truth. Remember the belt of truth. Spirit and truth together. That, that's, that's the sword. That's how we battle. Being filled with the spirit and engaging, reading, studying, praying through the Word of God, the truth of Scripture, and being abiding in Jesus, being fluent in the Word of God. That's the armour of God, really quickly. I'm just keeping my eye on the time. I'm going to keep moving. The last bit of the passage. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. As I said, military military illustrations are not my favorite, but Paul, again, has been talking about the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. But this this works for how, how prayer can work. If you think about battle, if you think about a war, What's really important in a war with lots of soldiers is communication. It's why in so many of the big victories uh, in, in, in war stories in the past, they've been won through taking out the communication, the means of communication, taking out radar dishes, taking out radio points and all that sort of stuff. If you can disable your enemy's communication, uh, you can win the war. What I love what Paul does here is when he finishes on prayer, it's like he's saying we have a, we have a constant, permanent, unbreakable, incorruptible, non-disconnectable line to headquarters. We have a direct line to the one who is overseeing everything in the world and in the universe. And through prayer, we can dial in and we can say, I'm here, I'm fighting the battle. God, what do I do next? What do I do next? What's my next move? What's our next move as a church? What's our next move as a family? Help me, help me, give me some direction here. And God, who is the commander to use the military illustration, delights in revealing his will to his people. And he's got it in control. He knows what he's doing and we can trust him. Even if things aren't panning out the way we think they should, we can trust that he is in control. 
This is a gift to us of prayer. And Paul knows how important it is when he says, and pray for me. Pray for me. Wire back to HQ and pray for me as I fight this part of the battle over here. Pray for me. He knows how important it is. Gabriel Redlands, we are sent. You are sent. Each one of us is sent and therefore we are sent together. As we understand this, as we understand this reality that we are sent, we have to go out into the world. We have to go out as Jesus was sent to serve and give and love. We will go, well, man, I need some armor. I need some armor to engage in this battle. And Paul lists it for us. And we've gone through it really quickly. As we take up this armor, we will battle and fight well, not because we're great soldiers, but because we take up the armor of our king, who is not the sort of king who stays in the palace while everyone else dies, but he's a king who went first. He went to the front line first. Truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, hope, spirit, and word are our protection in this battle. And they're our weapons in this assault. This assault of love on the world. It's not a battle against people. It's not a battle against the people who don't share our values. It's not trying to take out the people who would oppose the church. They're not the enemy. There is an enemy, but he's invisible. And that's who our battle is against. And he's a fierce opponent. We cannot face him on our own. We don't have a chance if we face him on our own. Let me tell you a little bit more of Jesus' prayer in John 17. Jesus says, as he's praying to his father, I'm not asking that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. It's a little interesting prayer that Jesus prays to his father about you and about me. Father, I'm not, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one. Here, here I reckon, here I reckon are the enemy's two greatest plays that he will get, try to get you with one way or another. There's only two, and he's, he's not very creative because he's been using these two for the last 2,000 years. The first one is to cause us to withdraw from the world, to not be an answer to that prayer, but to go, no, you know what? The world is too scary. The world is too evil. The world is too gross. I'm not going to engage with the world. I'm going to bunker down in my holy huddle with my family and wait it out over here until Jesus comes back or until we die. I don't want to have anything to do with the world. I'm not sure that's anyone here, but here's a more subtler version of it. Let's, let's just really commit to the church. Let's just really invest in the church and we'll, we'll build everything up here. We'll create life groups, we'll create ministry, we'll create programs so that when those people out there who I don't really want to have much to do with, but when they come, when they come on Sunday and everyone is welcome at Gateway, when they come, well, they'll, get, they'll experience these, they'll get converted and then we'll welcome in, we'll love them. But really, let's just invest in church and let's only engage with the world as we need to. Jesus says, no, I'm, I don't want you taken out of the world. I want you, I'm sending you into the world. Don't avoid it. I'm sending you into the world. The other way that Satan works, that's the first way, cause us to withdraw, cause us to bunker down in a holy huddle. His second greatest play is to make us so much like the world that we're not effective at all. That we don't take the armor up so our minds are filled with the, the narrative of the world, all that sort of thing. We become so much like the world that there's no difference between us and the people that we live, work and laugh with that there's, no, there's nothing that stands out. There's no salt, there's no light, as Jesus says. Again, not, not so much because we're working hard to be salt and light, but because Jesus, the gospel of grace and all that stuff isn't flowing through us and we, we've sort of sold out to what the world has to offer over and above what God has to offer and the enemy renders us completely ineffective by just becoming exactly 
like the world. But Jesus, Jesus calls us the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You know, he says, the good deeds you do, people will praise your Father in heaven as you live out this life and you do good to those who you live, work and laugh with. Even your enemies I want you to love. Here's the reality. You only need a little bit of salt to impact flavour. Moreover, you only need a tiny bit of light to light up the darkness. If this room was completely black and I got the smallest light you could get, and to, you would all be able to see it straight away. And it would, it would glow up a pretty significant part of this room. I need a little bit of light. And Jesus says, that's you. As I send you into the world, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. We are sent, whether we like it or not. We're sent. Take up the armor of God. Okay, here we go. Red bag moment. Red bag moment. Because this is a way to engage in the battle. And I took my kids shopping. We, we went around and it was, to be honest, not very enjoyable to go and buy six of everything. Everyone looks at you like you're a doomsday prepper. <laughs> but we did it anyway. And if they're going to ask, I'm doing it for charity, all right? Leave me alone. Dragging four kids through the, through the shops, sort of the last place they want to be. It's the last place I want to be. Brooke was working, so she was off the hook. I still... I had to put Woolies into my GPS to remember where it was. Anyway, not really. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that enjoyable, but I, it's an engaging in the battle. Let, let, me, let me tell you how it's engaging in the battle. Isaiah 59. And I reckon this is a passage of Scripture, again, that is in Paul's mind very much so when he writes what we've just read because he makes refer, there's, there's references to the same sort of stuff. But here's Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 talks about what God sees when he looks at the world and what he's going to do about it. What he sees in the world and what he's going to do about it. And what did he do about it? He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. But here's a, bit of, here's a chunk of it from the second half of verse 15 through to verse 17. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on the righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. This is a picture of Jesus who took up the armour when he came and did what he did. And this is the armour that now he offers to us as we continue to engage in the battle, the battle that's a part of the war that he has already won, by the way. This is Jesus, what He's done. Let me tell you, it is an injustice when the poor are hungry. That's an injustice. When people are hungry and they have no food in their cupboard, that's an injustice. That's something that displeases God. The food that you are holding in your red bag that may or may not have been annoying to go and buy is going to put food in the cupboards of people who are poor and hungry. In a very small way, it's an act of justice. You are the heart of God when you fill a red bag and you bring it out now. It's a very small token, but it is an act of justice. Here's what I want you to think about though. You know the difference between a posture and a gesture. So often our care moments like this can be a gesture. Sure, I'll get a red bag. Sure, I'll get caught up in the novelty of it. Yeah, I'll give a red bag. Yeah, justice, awesome. Walk out the door, live for self. That's a gesture. 
A posture is a lifestyle. It's how you constantly live. And wherever you are along that scale of care being a posture through to care being an occasional gesture, as you bring your red bag out this morning, I want you to think about as you pick it up, picture yourself taking up the armour of God. Okay, I'm in this battle whether I like it or not. And I wanna engage, I wanna see justice come. Not just through the red bags, but through every moment of my life. The people I live, work and laugh with, how can I be the righteousness of God in that context? I wanna take up the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, take up the shoes of the gospel. I'm a messenger of the gospel. I wanna put the shield of faith, the arm, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. I'm engaging in this battle. God, I'm throwing myself on your grace because I am fearful. This is not easy. Jesus never made any bones about it being easy. He said, take up your cross and follow me. As I take up my red bag, let it be a symbol of my heart to do that. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.